Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think of your goals. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. I absolutely love Babbel because their courses help me learn real-life conversational skills. It's so easy to learn how to order food, ask for directions, speak to the locals without having to consult language apps. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time offer for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners, at babbel.com SPP. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com SPP. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com SPP. Rules and restrictions may apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The podcast where we talk to smart people, but not necessarily done by smart people. That is an awesome question. This one goes down probably on one of my top five. Hey, I like nutrition. I like to eat food. This is the coolest thing ever. We're going to do this forever. I wish I paid more attention in that class. You know, I'm going to be honest. I don't understand that. As a man, I just, I don't get it. Welcome to smartpeoplepodcast.com. Hello and welcome to Smart People Podcast, conversations that satisfy your curious mind. Chris Stemp here for the last episode of 2023. You're in for an excellent episode. I think this is a perfect episode that you can just kind of sink into. I know some you really have to pay attention to, and I think this one will just kind of be a narrator for the next hour. That said... It's potentially one of the deeper discussions we'll have. This week on the show, we're talking to Dr. Mark Golston. And the thing about Mark is he's pretty much done everything. Like you're going to hear him mention all of the things he has done throughout this podcast. And it's kind of crazy. So first off, he is the author of the book called Just Listen, Discover the Secret to Getting Through to Absolutely Anyone. and It's perhaps the best-selling book ever on the topic of listening. He is literally considered the go-to guy on the topic of listening, understanding. By the way, he's not even plugging that book. Like, that's not what this episode is for. In fact, he's not plugging anything. He currently is dealing with cancer. He's facing his own mortality. And so he's on a bit of a speaking tour really just to make sure that everything he's learned throughout his life is captured and reaches people before he dies. And I know that sounds crass, but he would say the same thing. In fact, he does in this episode. In addition to that book, he is a Marshall Goldsmith 100 Coaches member. He was a UCLA professor of psychiatry for over 25 years. He was a former FBI and police hostage negotiation trainer. He spent decades as a suicide prevention therapist. He's a speaker, a coach, a board member of a bunch of companies. I mean, literally the list goes on. I don't think I need to say any more. This episode is a little bit more like sitting around a fire, listening to the wise sage give you life advice, to be honest. There's not a lot of me in this one. Maybe some of you are excited about that. You will take away a lot. Let us know what you think. Smartpeoplepodcast at gmail.com. Have an amazing holiday if you are in the States and celebrating the holidays. If you're not, just have an amazing new year wherever you are in the world. 
I think as we all contemplate our lives and New Year's resolutions and how we want to be better in this new year, this is a great way to think about it. Let's get into it. Our conversation with Dr. Mark Goulston, truly about, well, everything. Enjoy. I read that you're a death and dying expert. In your words, what does that mean? Well, it means that for 35 years, I focused on suicide prevention and uh, none of my patients died by suicide. And, and I also did house calls to dying patients because one of my early mentors was a fellow named Dr. Ed Schneidman. He's probably one of the top five pioneers in uh, suicide prevention, but also in uh, death and dying. So he would refer me people that, uh, I guess he had confidence in me, but he'd refer me people that a lot of other people didn't want to see because they were a little bit scary. Scary in what way? Well, the suicidal patients that they'd kill themselves when they're out of the hospital. How did you get into that? Was that an area you were interested in or just compassion for these individuals? When I was going through med school, I dropped out twice and finished. That's kind of unusual. And I dropped out because I think I had untreated depression. And so the first time I took a leave of absence, you know, they allow you to do that because people get stressed out in law school and med school and they, you know, give them a year off, hope they get their act together. And what happened is uh, I took off for a year, got a little bit better, came back, and then uh, I relapsed. So I came back and the depression came back and I was highlighting every book, hoping I could hold on to the material. I was at a pretty low point. So the second time I wanted to drop out, uh, and I was fortunate, I was passing everything. And I met with the head of the school, the dean of the school, and I don't even remember the meeting. But then I got a call from the dean of students uh, who said, I've got a letter here from the main dean. You got to come in and we'll read it together. And so I go in there, and the letter from the main dean said, I met with Mr. Goulston. We talked about other careers, and I'm advising the promotions committee that he be asked to withdraw. What does this mean? And the dean of students said, you've been kicked out. And I kind of cratered in front of him. I mean, I went, whoa. And that was one of my first experiences of the power of just pure vulnerability without helplessness. I, I, when I went, when I'm out, and then he hit me with what I call the trifecta of hope. And he said, and, and these were his words. He said, you know, Mark, you didn't mess up. You're passing everything, but you are messed up. But if you got unmessed up, I think the school would be glad they gave you a second chance. And then here, here, this is what I call the trifecta of hope. He said, uh, but even if you don't get unmessed up, even if you don't become a doctor, even if you don't do anything with the rest of your life, I'd be proud to know you. So the first leg was like an unconditional belief in me for, I guess, goodness. He said, so he said, I, I'd be proud to know you because you have something that the world needs and you don't know you have it. So he saw a future for me. So unconditional positive regard, not based on my being producing anything, a future for me that I didn't see. And then he looked at me and I'm crying because I'm not used to compassion. And I couldn't look at him. I couldn't look at him. And he says, look at me. And he points his finger at me and he says, you won't know how much the world needs you till you're 35, but you're going to make it till you're 35. And you deserve to be on this planet. And you're going to let me help you. If he had said, call me if I can help you, you know, I had a lot of that false pride. I, I probably wouldn't have called him. And, you know, there's a good chance I wouldn't be here today. But that's what but that, that's the trifecta, an unconditional, unwavering, positive belief in me that I didn't have. He saw a future for me that I didn't see. And he was willing to go to bat for me against the medical school at his own expense. 
So he had to stand up to the promotions committee and the head of the school and say, we're giving this one a second chance. And so something, something clicked in me. So I took a year off and I went to a place called the Menninger Foundation, which is still around. It's now in Houston, but back then it was in Topeka. And uh, I apparently had a knack. I was able to get through to schizophrenic farm young men and young women. I mean, I didn't know anything about that. And I remember asking, I remember asking the psychiatrist there, is this legitimate? I mean, this is not like anything I know in medical school. And they said, no, this is legitimate and you've got a knack. So I knew, well, I'll finish that. And then if I can finish medical school, I'll go become a psychiatrist. But what happened is I, I finished med school, went to UCLA, and I just paid it forward. Uh, and one of my early, uh, another one of my mentors was one of these people uh, who was a death and dying specialist in suicide prevention and uh, house calls he would send me on. And, uh, and I tend to simplify things. So uh, I even have a name for the approach. It's called surgical empathy. Because when someone is really suicidal, they form a psychological adhesion to death to take the pain away. It's not an attachment. It's like an adhesion, like after surgery, organs stick together. And they form this adhesion when I can't take it, I can't take it. And so they don't necessarily listen to reason or logic. And so you have to sever the adhesion. And so surgical empathy does that. And I have a very simp simple way, but hopefully not simplistic. You can be the judge of it. So, so to me, uh, when I would see even my coaching clients, I realized the suicidal patients chose death because they couldn't make the hurt go away. And so if I, if I could lessen the hurt so it was tolerable, they could let go of it. And once they let go of it, they could start thinking about other options. But they often won't let go of it if you treat it from the outside in. So I found a way of going and joining them as the dean of students did with me. You know, joining them in the dark night of the soul, seeing, seeing finding their goodness, uh, and seeing a future for them that they couldn't see. And then grabbing them emotionally by the nape of the neck and saying, you're not going anywhere. Similar to what that dean did for you. Absolutely. Uh, so, so can I share an anecdote that, uh, that you might find interesting? So Dr. Schneidman used to refer me. He'd go up, he'd do a consultation, and, and he would often refer them to me because a lot of the other psychiatrists just didn't want to see him because they were scared that once out of the hospital, they'd kill themselves. And there was one woman, this is not her name, I'll call her Nancy, and she'd made several suicide attempts, and I didn't think I was helping her at all. She, uh, she'd come in the office, she wouldn't make eye contact with me, she would be looking, you know, 30 degrees to the left or the right like this. She wasn't catatonic, but you know, she wasn't all there. And in those days, I used to moonlight once a month in a state hospital. And so I saw her on a Monday after I hadn't slept for about 36 hours. And so there's Nancy uh, in her usual state. And as I was seated in the room with her, all the color turned to black and white. So I'm looking out in the room and it's black and white. And I get these chills. And I thought I was having a stroke or a seizure. And she wasn't looking at me. So I did a neurologic exam on myself. You know, I'm looking at my fingers to see if I have double vision. I'm tapping my elbows. And I thought to myself, I'm all here. Then I had this crazy idea that I was looking out of the world emotionally through her eyes and feeling what she felt. And so because I was sleep deprived, I blurted this out to her. I said, Nancy, I didn't know it was so bad and I can't help you kill yourself. But if you do, I'll still think well of you. I'll miss you. And maybe I'll understand why you had to, to get out of this pain. And I thought, I just gave her permission. And then she looked at me for the first time. I mean, she looked right into me like I'm looking into my camera lens at you. And I thought she was going to say, thank you for understanding. You know, I'm long overdue. And she said, 
if you can really understand why I might have to kill myself to get out of this pain, maybe I won't need to. And then she smiled. And then the color came back in the room. The warmth came back. And I grabbed under her eyes and I said, I'll tell you what we're going to do. Uh, but I'm not going to give you any treatment unless you say maybe we should try something. Would that be okay? And we're locking eyes. And she said, uh-huh. And then I leaned into her eyes and I grabbed onto her through her eyes. And I said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to find you wherever you are. And I'm going to keep you company there because I just don't want you to be alone there. Would that be okay? Would that be okay? You know, and then she turned a corner. And so... Uh, and. How does that relate to the surgical empathy? Well, the surgical was, go was going in to where she was at a point of maximum pain that was only going to be relieved as she killed herself. But when she felt less alone, I make a distinction between pain and suffering. Pain is pain. Suffering is often feeling utterly alone in the pain. And if you can somehow alleviate the aloneness, you can alleviate suffering they can't live with and turn it into pain they can't. I'm going to give you, uh, you seem like a game guy. I'm going to give you a little taste of surgical empathy with you. Sure. You ready? You ready? You're right. This is much more superficial. Uh, <laughs> you're listening to me. You're doing a great job, by the way. Mm -hmm. uh, and you're asking questions that I think your audience would be interested in. Mm-hmm. But underneath you listening to me and asking me questions, which is respectful, thoughtful, and, you know, somewhat transactional, you're listening, you're listening for something underneath you listening to me. And let me take a guess what it is, and you tell me if it's, it's right. Okay. I think you want to honor the trust and confidence and time of your listeners and viewers. One of the last things you want to do is, is insult them or waste their time. And you're listening for guests who, uh, after they listen or watch the episode, they'll say, that was a good use of my time. That was a good one. Uh, and so you're listening for guests that will give them that experience. And you're also protective of your audience. So... I don't think this is the problem because you do a thorough job of checking on your guests. But you're listening for that that guest who may be a best-selling author, but they're real stiff. I mean, they are awful. <laughs> and and you think to yourself, <laughs> I got to protect my audience. I, I I can't do this to them. And so is any of that true that you're listening for those things because you 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 want to honor and pay back, trust, confidence, and the gift of their time to you. This episode is brought to you by Rocket Money. I've always struggled with finding time to manage my finances. At the end of a busy week, the last thing I want to do is spend time budgeting all of my expenses or tracking down customer service teams to cancel old subscriptions I no longer use. But now, I use Rocket Money, and it does all of that for me. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. With Rocket Money, I have full control over my subscriptions and a clear view of my expenses. I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, Rocket Money can help me cancel it with a few taps. I love how the dashboard shows me this month's spending compared to last month's, so I can clearly see my spending habits. Rocket Money will even try to negotiate your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll deal with customer service for you. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash smart. That's rocketmoney.com slash smart. One last time, rocketmoney.com slash smart.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 100%. In fact, I can't say that was always the case because I think earlier on, I was more concerned with, I don't know, doing it right or what I want or uh, something like that, where we've been doing it so long that I'd say five to eight years ago. So maybe the halfway point is when I now try to hold the duality of carrying on a good conversation for the purpose of what we're doing while also thinking if I were listening, what is going through my head? What is my vantage point? What am I hearing? Where am I in my life? What would I need to hear next for it to be a value to me? So absolutely. So when I gave you that challenge that I'm going to read your mind at what you're listening for, and you said a hundred percent, I think three times. So um, what was the experience that I I kind of got it right and got you right in terms of your values. I was actually a little shocked. I was like, well, why would you know that? It took me a long time to realize that. So how would you know that when it took me years to know that? And then my mind went, well, he has a podcast. Maybe he just through his own experiences knows what it's like to be in my shoes. And that's where my mind went. Well, I've checked you out too. And uh, yes, you want to be successful. Yes, you want to grow grow your podcast. And you want to make a dollar, but you also want to make a difference. It comes across. Yeah, I'm sure you're much more successful than me. Uh, uh, In fact, (laughs) I was going to joke with you. You know, I I can't be a guest on your uh, podcast. Uh, (laughs) Well, why, Mark? I'm not smart. (laughs) And here's my evidence. I will, I will cop to being somewhat wise, but smart people make all the money. So therefore, I am not smart. Wise people, uh, you know, hopefully kind of know what's important. And, and if we are wise in our lives, we'll try to align ourselves with what's important. So at the end of our life, you know, we don't have that many regrets, but I, uh, I have failed at smart. <laughs> Based on societal standards, perhaps. I mean, I, I have to tell you that your distinction between wise and smart, although I think at least the way I interpret it, somewhat tongue in cheek, and I, I, I would disagree, but I do think that your definition of wise is what I strive for. And I actually would say that one of the reasons I was super interested in talking to you is because I think it's very hard to remain wise in today's society. I was just having a conversation with somebody earlier today about the higher you go up in an organization or in your career. We all know the golden handcuffs, but trying to live an authentic life that you feel you are adding value while also meeting the responsibilities you have as an individual, whether it be as a parent or a spouse or whatever it is. I, I feel like it's a really tough, tight wire to walk. So, so here's one of first of hopefully several tips that you'll find helpful. Uh, my first book, uh, several of my books are evergreen bestsellers. They, none of them were bestsellers out of the gate. They just grow on people and, uh, People, you know, refer them and say, you better check out this book. So my first book was called Get Out of Your Own Way. I think it's now sold about 300,000 copies or so. And there are 40 chapters that are self-defeating behaviors. And one of the chapters is called Trying to Take Care of Everybody. And and my books have these, at the end of each chapter, something called a usable insight, which is an insight you can actually use. So I, I think the end of that chapter is... Nobody in your life competes for importance. They all compete for time. And the key is to develop the muscle of being 100% present when you're a dad. 
when you're a husband, when you're a podcaster. And so the key is how to be completely present because when you drag in, you know, you're preoccupied with work into your family or you're preoccupied with your family at work, you're cheating everyone out of your undivided attention. So here's a daunting challenge. The challenge is you go to your spouse and you say, uh, have I ever been so distracted and preoccupied that, uh, uh, that you wanted to get my undivided attention about something that was important and there was no way you could get it? They're going to go, what? I mean, I already know the answer to that. <laughs> of course, I yeah, do that yeah. fairly often. Oh, yeah. They're going to say, what? So you're going to do this homework and get back to me. They're going to say, what? Uh, yeah, I had someone on the show and he asked me to ask you this. Uh, 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 give me an example of me at my worst when you really had something important to tell me. And there was just no way to get my attention. Now, sometimes, you know, if they still love you, as opposed to they're just frustrated with you, they'll say, yeah, yeah, but you're busy. You're a good person. You're such and such. And you say, well, I appreciate that. But I'm asking you, have I ever made you feel that way? Yes. Uh, and when I make you feel that way, does it ever hurt in addition to be frustrating? Yes. Is that something that I do fairly often. Well, not as, no, don't let me off the hook. Often your spouse is not going to look at you because they're going to be crying because they're feeling, they're feeling relief. You know, that what you're saying is you deserve my undivided attention. A lot of times I don't give it to you. And then you say to her, look at me, what? Now look at me. And then you look into her eyes, which might be a little bit tearful. And you think to yourself, what have I done to that young woman I fell in love with? What the heck have I done? And then you look at her and say, uh, you deserve better than this and I'm going to fix it. I don't know how, but I'm going to fix it and I'm sorry. Now you can understand some of my entrepreneur friends saying that's a little bit too courageous. <laughs> yeah, I kind of was thinking that. I was like, all right, this is, I got my, uh, my night cut out for me. I think about this often, you know, if I'm working from home, and she's got the baby and things like that. And I go downstairs for a cup of coffee. It's 11 a.m. I've just been on two hours of calls. I know I got three more hours coming up. And she'll say, hey, I want to talk to you about, I don't know, weekend plans. And often, I'm kind of not paying attention. I'll say, look, I'm in work mode right now. I really can't think about this. I, I justify that in that uh, it's hard for me to transition my brain from this and that, and this and that. So it leads to a fragmentation, but I think it's also sometimes a requirement based on how complex our lives are, how many different hats we have to wear. Nowadays. Okay. Here, okay. Here's the intervention. Okay. Because it's uh, okay. because you know, because you know, when you respond that way, it's, it, 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 it's not exactly, uh, you know, uh, love Island going to happen after that. Um, <laughs> So, see, there's always a way to open people up. I was, a, I was also a former FBI hostage negotiation trainer. So I've, I've done a bunch of things. And so what you say, you can say, damn, you could say, damn it. Uh, that is worth my undivided attention, and I can't give it to you now. And I don't want to be distracted or make an excuse. That's worth my undivided attention. I'll tell you, I'll be finished in about three hours or such and such. Uh, would you run it by me then? That that could go over slightly better than the other one. Absolutely. I mean, I'm not saying it's the right approach. I'm curious, you know, in the various stories that you've told us and the examples provided, there's a, a thread that goes throughout it. And I could I could try to analyze what I think that thread is. But I'm curious on what you believe that thread to be. What is the general approach you are bringing into these relationships that you feel adds so much value that you've seen impact people in a positive way? Well, I mentioned it to you uh, about two stories ago. Uh, there's a universal truth that whenever you're with someone, one-on-one, one-on-five, one on five, one on a thousand, that underneath they're listening to you, they're listening for something. 
and they're often not conscious of what they're listening for. But if you know it's always operating, just stopping yourself and knowing it's there and being curious about it without an agenda, that's such a unicorn in communication that they will engage with you. So uh, I I do presentations, trainings. I kind of mentor someone who's the head of an accelerator of, I don't know, a couple hundred startups. And so he has me, uh, every six months I do a presentation to a cohort. About two weeks ago, I did a presentation to, uh, it was sort of a roundup of about 100 founders. And one of the things I told them, and they're right at the stage of trying to get money from investors. So, so they've used up friends and family uh, money, but now they got to go out to people who they don't know. And I said, uh, I said, how many of you start a presentation and within three slides, the investor or investors are smiling at you and you think it's a yes? Uh, you're smiling. And I say, it's not a yes. They don't have a sense of humor. It's about money. They're smiling because they don't want to be rude because you're on slide three of a 35-slide deck. They already know it's a no. They don't want to insult you to say, well, I'm finished because they know how much time you put into that slide deck and they don't care. But you're kind of stuck because you're an engineer and you got to see things through even if they've fallen asleep at slide 21. (laughs) So, So here's what you want to do. And you can do this in, in lots of conversations. When, when you get a hint that they're smiling and your experience tells you it is not a yes, what you do is you stop the slide and you say, why don't we stop for a second? They're going to get nervous because you caught them not trying to be rude. Uh, what, 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 what? And here's what you say to them. So, so here's the thread about listening for something. And you say, uh, when I started this presentation, you were listening for something and you didn't hear it. In fact, there's signs that I'm getting further away from it. And so you're thinking, I'm never going to hear it. And uh, can you tell me what you were listening for? Because uh, we actually might have it in slide 38, and but you will have been asleep for 15 slides. So can you tell us what you're looking for or listening for? And if we have it, I'll let you know. And if we don't have it, I'm in a cohort of lots of businesses and I can make introductions. You know, and I'm not looking to get a referral fee. I'm just looking to make you successful, make the people in my cohort successful. And I'll make an introduction if what you're looking for is not me, as someone else. You know, and that, now the investor is thinking, well, why would you do that? Well, because if I do that, you'll take my call in the future because I'm focused on your, your success and I'm just hoping that, you know, what my product or service is will be part of your success. And then I didn't let it, I didn't let it go with that. So uh, and I say, let them tell you what they're looking for. Uh, and then you say, nah, 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 you know, that's not what you're listening for. What am I listening for? You're listening for the unicorn to make up for all the losers. You're listening for that company, that startup where you go back to your boss and say, I think this is the one. And, and, uh, and so what I tell people, you know, when you have a startup, reverse engineer from that investor going back to their boss saying, I think this is the one. What the heck do they have to see or learn? And it's not about what your company does. For them, it's a return on investment. And so it's not just, now you can be passionate about your company, but let's face it, you know, unless it is a cure for peace, you know, poverty and uh, starvation, it's, 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 it's an investment. Here's another tip that if you listen to this and if you try this, Chris, it will change your life in a week. So can I give you another tip? Absolutely. With that, with that lead off, definitely. <laughs> so this is called the HUVA exercise, H-U-V-A. And so every day, pick a conversation that you want to go really, really well from their point of view. 
Because if it goes really, really well from their point of view, they're going to want more of you. If it, if it grows goes really, really well from your point of view and you didn't pick up when they were smiling, it was because they couldn't wait to get away from you. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the Hoover exercise is, I'm going to have a conversation with this person. And at the end of this conversation, from their point of view, uh, they're going to rate me 10, 10, 10, 10 on Hoover. H, they're going to feel that I heard them out. I didn't interrupt them. I wasn't distracted. So they're going to feel like I heard them out. You, they're going to feel like I actually understood them. Uh, by the way, you're doing a very good job with me. You got to take this home though. Uh, so, you know, because, because you're hearing me out, uh, even when you have something to say, if I'm on a roll, you, you, you'll be able to stop and say, no, no, go ahead. So you're hearing me out, even if I'm being a little bit rude. Uh, part of it's my ADD. I don't want to lose what I'm about to say. Uh, the you is, how well did they feel understood? And so you show that by asking someone to elaborate. So you said, so what's the thread? What's the commonality? So I felt like, ooh, he's really understanding me. V is that person felt that you valued what they had to say. So rather than taking issue with it, and I'm not saying you should roll over and say everything is great, but but you valued it because you were seeing a way that whatever they're saying could really be useful uh, to you in your life. So you're showing value. And the A is on a scale of one to 10, you added value. So you might say, uh, Mark, uh, uh, this, this listening stuff and people listening for, have you ever thought of taking this to Congress? <laughs> <laughs> you know, Good luck. I mean, you know yeah, yeah. Uh, but but you're adding value because you're saying, "Oh, I think I'm seeing something that you can't see that could really use what you have." And so, after the conversation with this person, you rate yourself. Don't beat up on yourself because none of this stuff comes natural. It comes pretty natural to you because you're a great podcast host. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate uh, that. You know, you've done very well in, in the Hoover exercise. Uh, uh, but if you do this once a day intentionally with one conversation for a week, I think you're going to notice something. You're going to say, wow, uh, you're going to notice the other person being engaged, being appreciative, being thankful. Uh, and hopefully you'll notice I might not have closed the deal in this conversation, but this was a good conversation. It, it, it could lead to something. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Which, you know, building that rapport and building those relationships is what one of the things we're talking about, right? Of being wise. And, and that's one of the lasting things that will, you can not only carry with you, but you know, all the studies have shown that uh, the more relationships you have throughout life is directly going to correlate to things like happiness and longevity. So it's an investment in your time on the planet, if you will. Which brings me to Michelangelo dying. <laughs> okay. So okay. He's, I've, I've already got you figured out. He's thinking, how the heck is he going to connect those dots? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm actually more interested in it. I'm like, all right, I'm... I'm here for that. Let's go. I'm getting interviewed a lot on this, and we haven't even talked about uh, uh, my mortality. I, uh, 
In a couple of weeks, I'm going, I'm going to be admitted for something called a bone marrow transplant because I'm heading for acute myeloid leukemia. Oh, wow. I did not know that. Yeah, well, you're probably saying, why didn't we spend the whole episode on this, Mark? Uh, I'm psychologically, emotionally, mentally the best I've ever been in my life by far. No depression, no anxiety, no fear, 100% peace of mind. And, and I have a YouTube and TikTok channel called I'm Dying to Tell You because I'm just sharing things I've learned over a lifetime. So my first episode, I think I'm up to about 54 on YouTube, is called Michelangelo Dying. And, uh, and just as Michelangelo saw the angel in a piece of marble and carved till he set it free, I saw what's important in life inside a ton of stuff that is unimportant. And I just cut the unimportant stuff away. What I discovered is friends, family, uh, not just their knowing you love them, but their feeling you love them. A lot of times that's missing. Oh, I know my parents. Oh, blah, 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 blah. You know, you get to the end of your life. Well, how... Well, how much did you feel seen by your dad and emotionally connected to? Well, that wasn't his deal. I know, I know. You're making excuses. Well, we could have been a lot closer, but he didn't know how to do it. I didn't know how to do it. And, you know, and so it is what it is. So part of my commitment is uh, is to help people not wait too long. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm hearing from a lot of people. Oh, I was so busy, too busy to listen to my spouse, but I stopped everything to go to the hospice and hold my dad's hand for three days. And it was probably the most powerful time in my life. Well, it's too bad you waited so long. So, you know, so I'm here. So that's one of the things I'm trying to teach people is uh, don't wait too long for these things. And uh, and I know it's exciting. Uh, I, I just wrote a blog uh, uh, called uh, High Tech, Low Touch, and Loneliness. And I talked about how high tech, especially the CEOs of high tech, uh, they, they all have features of being on the spectrum. They're not good at emotionally relating, but they love algorithms and they addicted the world to adrenaline. And you have to keep feeding adrenaline by consumption and you want more and more and more. And what's happened, we're in a uh, oxytocin famine because it takes too much time to care about someone else's feelings by listening and finding out what they're feeling. It takes, it takes too much time to just let your spouse talk without giving a solution or advice that she doesn't want. And it's epidemic. And do you think the impacts of that aren't felt as much until there is a defining moment in your life as in you know that that spouse decides to leave you you get a diagnosis you're you know lonely on a holiday those types of things is what when we as humans are only at that point are we willing to kind of to sit back and look at the cause of said predicament well that's why i have a podcast called my wake up call yeah, unfortunately, I, I think that's true. It's, uh, uh, I belong to a, a couple entrepreneurial communities, and the majority of them have been married a few times. And, they, and I, I really like them. I mean, you know, I enjoy their energy, uh, and they're really into excitement. They just can't grok closeness. <laughs> Well, you know, on that note, though, I think this is this is something I've figured out over the past 20 years, going from young masculine jock to more of a empathetic type individual is I, I don't think outwardly a lot of people will claim, admit or even recognize that they value that person until they need that person to listen to them, right? In a, in a in a world where people aren't as willing to spend time with you, focus on you as you said, right? Provide that one-on-one -on -one uninterrupted attention, then it's at those moments where people seek you out a little bit. I'm in a number of projects and one of them is I'm the co-founder 
we might want to talk about this because you might like, I'm the co-founder of the Deeper Coaching Institute. I looked that up. I, I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a, it's a division of on global leadership. So this is the coaching arm. You know, given that I'm going into the hospital, uh, I'm looking for people who this appeals to. And what it's about is that, you know, frequently, especially in the executive coaching thing, it focuses on strategy and tactics. And, and, and that's all important. You want to be successful. But not infrequently, you discover something about yourself that you didn't know. Someone holds a mirror up to you, you know, and they're supportive of you. So they can do it in a way that you can accept it. And it introduces you to things. So for instance, if you, I've given you a few tips, I want to give you a parenting tip or two. Uh, you know, if you try them, you say, wow, that really made a difference. Wow. You know, we were kind of glib about it, you know, to two jocks, you know, talking to each other. But my wife did really tear up when I asked her if I, she couldn't get my undivided attention. You know, did I ever make her feel that she wasn't worth my undivided attention, if you want to really go into it? And so the Deeper Coaching Institute is for people, you know, and we don't market or sell it. We mention it occasionally. I saw so I'm mentioning it here. I could have forgotten it. You know, for people who want to go deeper and, and, and because of my background, I know a little bit more about going deeper than, you know, people who weren't trained as therapists or suicide prevention specialists. Because, yeah, you can, you know, the majority of coaches who don't have that background, especially if they're men, you know, they can recognize, they can say, you know, it sounds like you have some limiting beliefs. Or it sounds like, you know, you might be able to benefit from this emotional intelligence training. And, uh, and again, that's at the level of... Uh, you know, talking to the person and uh, see, see where, I, where I would go with the person after I develop a rapport, I'd say, uh, how much has this already cost you really being lousy at this? Tell me a story of a relationship you'll never get back. So, so the Deeper Coaching Institute is for people who want to go deeper because it's just benefiting them as a person you know, as a, as opposed to someone who only wants to be successful. You could be, you could be good at that. You could be a deeper coaching person. Well, trust me. I mean, that's why I got into this field. I mean, that I initially, when I was, I don't know, 25 ish, 20, well, it was more like 27, 28. I thought about, Oh, I want to be a, a psychologist. And then I was like, ah, it's a lot of school. I don't know. I don't know if they, so I said, I'll, I'll test the waters and I'll get certified as a coach, just a regular, you know, a co it's, it was through the coactive coaching Institute. So I did that and then got into consulting and leadership development and things like that. And now I do some senior leader development coaching type things. Um, and I love the idea of going deeper. My struggle becomes, I find that, and I often reference this book, I think it's called the psychopath test which is at the higher levels of leadership, uh, man, I'm not pleasantly surprised with the people. Let's just put it that way, right? I think what it takes to get there sometimes is not my cup of tea. And so do you find that those individuals are just as willing as the rest? It's just hidden under more layers, you know? Or are they truly... <laughs> uh, just in it for themselves. Well, it's interesting. Uh, uh, you know, you know, I, I'm not afraid to be playfully confrontational. And you often earn the respect of some people who don't respect too many people based on how you can confront them. So I remember someone who kind of fits your criteria, and I didn't know if they were a psychopath or not. And we were having lunch, I think, at the Beverly Hills Hotel, and uh, and he was just really awful to the waitress. And we're talking, and I said, uh, I'm really giddy right now. I'm just really giddy. And he said, what? I said, I'm really giddy because I don't work for you, and I never have to see you again. <laughs> he said, what? I said, I've been watching you. I mean, we have a conversation. And you have 
a way about you that I think flirts regularly with abuse. And, and in my book, you want more, and I don't think you deserve what you already have. And I am not here to get you more. So I don't think you'd want to work with me. But this, but but he passed this, he passed the sniff test. So he looks at me. He said, "Nobody's ever said that to me." I said, "Oh, but many have thought it." <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yep. And then he looks like this. He looks around and he said, "Can it be fixed?" Because <laughs> I already lost the marriage, a business, a partnership. I said. It's an addiction. I said, the, I think the best you can be is an asshole in recovery. Somebody needs to tell these people that. Yeah. yeah and I said, and, and, and I, and here's a good thing. Here's a good phrase to use. Uh, uh, I say, you know, people don't do what's important to them. They do what they care enough about. It's important to me, especially with my health issues to exercise and eat healthily, but I don't care enough about it to do it, do it as well as I should. Although as I approach, you know, going in the hospital and everyone is telling me, you know, this is really important. I mean, this is your life. Uh, I, I think I finished my last bag of marshmallows. <laughs> oh, what a shame that is. Oh, they were great. <laughs> uh, but, uh, and, and I think a, a good way to approach people is to say that, you know, uh, People do what they care enough about. And the way you know that someone cares enough about something is they take action. You don't have to nag them. And it's, un it's unclear to me that you care enough about some of the things we've talked about, even when you've agreed they'd give you these benefits. But it's unclear to me that you care enough about it to actually do it. And I'm not here to be a nag. See if they're willing. So here's a parenting tip, because I mentioned yeah, I, Yeah, I could use some. Uh, a good friend of mine is a fellow named Nolan Bushnell. He started Atari, Chuck E. Cheese. He was Steve Jobs' first boss. And uh, I think uh, uh, I'm on the board of advisors of five or six companies. And, uh, uh, you know, and I don't even keep track of it. I mean, you know, I don't even have a filing cabinet. So, you know, they have me sign these things and they say, if we make money, you know, you're going to get some. I said, well, you know, give it, give it to my widow. Uh, so I think I'm on the board. I am on the board of advisors of an education company that he started. But he gave me these great tips that I didn't use with my kids, but I thought they were brilliant. Uh, and, and he's quite a character. And he said, you know, Mark, I graduated 247th in my engineering class of 247. So, you know, either I was stupid or I was distracted, but grades really don't matter to me. And I told all my kids, grades don't matter. You know, I don't want you to grow up and, you know, piss away some of my money and flunk out, but grades really don't matter. He said, the only thing that matters is what you learn, what you did with it, and what was the result? So what he did with his children, who have all done well, is, you know, when they'd come home from school, and he said, don't ask them, how was school? What'd you learn today? He said, they hate, it's another question. And, and, and you're just doing it to connect with them, but they've already had tons of questions, and that's why they say, fine, nothing. And what he would do instead is when his kids would come home, but in order to do this, you actually have to be curious. And he would say to his kids, uh, teach me something you learned today. Not what did you learn today? Teach me something you learned today. And he said, and when you're enthusiastic about what they teach you, they light up. And then he would say, uh, and, and, and as they get older, he would say, what action did you turn that into? And what was the result? And don't expect the result to be great because when we started Atari, Chuck E. Cheese, you know, when we started out, it was junk, you know, but uh, so teach me something you learn and, and, and uh, find out what action they turned it into and what was the result. And, uh, and you're not judgmental. You're just curious because I'll tell you, I look back at 
I can't even remember the classes I took in college and what. Yeah, they were pre-med classes. I, I guess I had to take them to go to med school or something. But you know, or the or the classes I took to get into uh, uh, med school so I could get good enough grades, that sort of thing. So I thought that was wonderful. Some of the, the other thing that he did is he had eight kids, and he every Sunday he would take one of them out to brunch somewhere to a place that they'd never been and he'd never been, and it would be at least forty-five minutes away, and. Uh, and he said, look, you know, when you're with each other and you're stuck with each other for 45 minutes each way, you know, you get into a conversation and, and you're both discovering something as opposed to going to the, go, going to pick up food at the same restaurant every Sunday and you take it home. Uh, and, and he shared an anecdote that he took one of his daughters out. I think she was seven or eight and, and they drove somewhere and, you know, and they're having breakfast and she leans over and he, she says, Dad, they all look angry. And he looks around, and he says, we're in a fishing village. They just got off the boat. <laughs> but I thought, wow, that's amazing. Somebody gave me similar advice about the spending time, and my son plays baseball, so oftentimes I don't ask a lot of questions in the car. I just wait in the trip for what naturally comes out, and it's a good time to connect. I, I have to ask you, I've been, I've been wondering about this, which is with your background, with the story we started the conversation with you in, in, in college and with your, um, the illness that you're facing, what is a lesson or a thing you value and you know now that you just could not have or did not know as an early adult? How poor, how important it is to just listen. I had eight mentors. The last one was Larry King. I'd go to breakfast with him with this quirky group of people, uh, for a couple of years prior to the pandemic. And uh, and he was incredibly curious. People loved to be on his show because he never hit people with a gotcha. And he was just curious about everything. Uh, and he had opinions, you know, and he would voice them at, at breakfast and all that. And, uh, and I had another mentor, you probably don't know the name, uh, a fellow named Warren Bennis. Warren Bennis was kind of to leadership what, what Steve Jobs was to personal computers. I mean, if you look up Warren Bennis, he was he was like you know one of the top five people. Uh, he mentored Howard Schultz, David Gergen, uh, Tom Peters. He was, I think, one of the founders of the Kennedy School of Public Leadership or something. Uh, and I love to collect quotes, and and one of my favorite Warren quote is: "Boredom occurs when we fail to make the other person interesting." Oh, that's so good. That's so good. I can't even tell you how good that is for this. I mean, I'll probably edit this out of the podcast, but I find people fascinating. So I do the show, right? Almost everyone. And I learned it from my mom and my mom has this really amazing superpower. She's got a ton of friends, ton of people who, who will share with her and confide in her. And I've seen since I was a child, the reason is she genuinely, when she goes up to somebody, she assumes they're one of the most interesting people in the world. It's, it's without fail. So she'll come back. She'll be like, Chris, I met this guy. I met this woman, whatever. doesn't matter. And then she'll start telling me about this person and they, oh, they do this and they do this and they do this. And it's just ever since I can remember and anybody who knows her. Like that is going to happen in a conversation. And so I didn't realize that until this podcast that I had adopted that from her. And I also didn't realize that that wasn't normal. Like, so people would say to me, they, random things like, why do you want to talk to all these people? Or how can you care? What? And I always just thought that's insane. I'm like, but how do you not? Like if you, if you pull on anybody's experience and you can't be amazed, it's your fault. It's not theirs. So I love that quote. It's, it perfectly sums up my belief. Well, I'm glad. Well, I'm glad. Well, I hope yeah. you do keep it in the podcast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I might. Here, here, here's another quote, because I collect quotes. And that's close to the top. But the top quote and one of my episodes of I'm Dying to Tell You, you can look this up, is uh, 
uh, comes from a woman named Dr. Shawnee Duperon, and she founded Project Forgive with Desmond Tutu. Archbishop Desmond Tutu was nominated for a Nobel Prize. And uh, and she didn't originate the quote, but I'm giving her the credit for it because uh, she's done so much with it. And it's, forgiveness is accepting the apology you will never receive. Also a good one. I like that. Well, that's profound because when she told me that, I uh, I made peace with my father 25 years after he died because uh, I, I accepted the apology that I never received that I think he would give me, which is, you know, he was a guy who was better with numbers. He was a guy who, you know, wasn't all that skilled interpersonally. Uh, he could be a little critical, you know, when you pulled him into something that he wasn't confident about. And so he could put down my creativity because I'm a little bit wacky. And the apology that I accepted that I never received was, uh, remember when I used to put you down, you'd come up with these crazy ideas, Mark, and, uh, and I'd say something dismissive like, well, what does that have to do with anything? Uh, I can't believe what you've done with your life, Mark, and uh, the people you've touched, the lives you've saved. I don't deserve you as my son, and I'm sorry. And he would say that. He would say that. And But here was the real insight. I didn't realize that it's not a full forgiveness until I asked his forgiveness. So after I imagined him saying that to me and I accepted it, I said, uh, I owe you an apology. I held a bit of a chip on my shoulder about some things. I used you as an excuse. You did the best you could. And given all the worries you had, raising a family, supporting a family, and I know what that's like, you know, my own family, I should have known better. I mean, I'm a, I'm a freaking psychiatrist in the family, and I didn't. And so I want to apologize to you for that grudge. And, uh, and I can finally say uh, and feel it when I say I miss you. What was the quote on that? Forgiveness is accepting the apology you will never receive. That's powerful. Well, you've been a great host. Well, Mark, you I got to go ahead. No, I appreciate it. I, 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 I'm sitting here going, man, I got so many more things I want to ask. The natives are getting restless. It is bedtime here. And if I do not help, then trust me, any none of these conversations I have with my wife will be valuable. Okay, okay. Quick bedtime. You get you fire fire me, but quick bedtime story. If you give if you give your kids bedtime story, if you read them a story, before the story, uh, you say, "What was the best thing that happened to you today?" Uh, and what was the thing that what was the worst thing that happened to you today? And you don't give them advice. You just let them talk about it. And you say, wow, that's, that's amazing. And, oh, geez, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that happened to you. What are you most excited about tomorrow? And what are you most nervous about? Because that teaches them perspective, that good and bad things happen every day. And then you can follow up on it. And then you seal it with the story. So you finish up with the story. and you, Because what you want to do is you want to uh, have them internalize you know, oh, talking things out like this actually feels better. And the net result is they develop perspective. I'm going to add that into the routine. Well, you've got one of the things before I let you go, you know, I, I, I read your bio multiple times and I was like, I can't keep track of all this. You got books, you got podcasts, you, you, you tell us, right? What are the things you are most, um, wishing people go find? Yeah, there is a lot of stuff. Uh, I, I, Personally, uh, uh, on YouTube, it's I'm Dying to Tell You, Dr. Mark. I think that's the thing. And it has these videos that I'm sharing, you know, uh, uh, and they just come to me almost every day. And then TikTok, there's a, uh, I think, uh, uh, I think my handle is at Dr. Mark, and it's I'm Dying to Tell You there. And so I'm just sharing some of the stuff uh, that, I've, that I've shared on the show here. And, uh, and I'm, you know, I'm not monetizing it. I don't care about that. I, uh, I will say it, it, you know, delights me to see that, you know, some of them have more than 10 views, <laughs> 15 views and, uh, and they can check, they can check out my podcast, my wake up call, but I'm, I'm getting more requests to be a guest because, 
I go on so many tangents. <laughs> well, because it's a fascinating thing too. Like that's what I'm going to, I'm going to reach back out and, you know, a couple months or a year or something, have you back on. I, Cause I want to dig into, I mean, I got so many places to go. I want to talk about uh, hostage negotiation and how that links to suicide prevention. And so more to come, but uh, for now, we'll have to let this hour plus suffice. So Mark, first, I want to say thanks so much. And then second, I also want to say best of luck uh, with the upcoming surgery. I hope everything works out for you. Thank you. Warren Bennis told me that when people say something nice, don't go neurotic on them. So there's two words. Thank you. A special thank you to this week's guest, Dr. Mark Golston. The episode was hosted, as always, by Chris Stemp and produced by yours truly, John Rojas. Check out Dr. Golston's podcast, My Wake Up Call, wherever you download your podcasts. And now for the quick housekeeping items. If you'd ever like to reach out to the show, you can email us at smartpeoplepodcast at gmail.com or message us on Twitter at smartpeoplepod. And of course, if you want to stay up to date with all things Smart People Podcast, head over to the website, smartpeoplepodcast.com and sign up for the newsletter. All right, that's it for us this week. We hope you have a fantastic holiday season and a happy new year. Be sure to stay tuned because we've got a lot of great interviews coming up and we'll see you next episode.